Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin, and my guest today is, a, is an accomplished musician out of the Washington, D.C. area, Miss Deborah Bond. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. This is this is a podcast I'm truly excited about because I've been a fan of your music for, I think, about mm, a little over 10 years, maybe longer. <laughs> Wow, thank you. You've been hanging in there with me then. <laughs> yeah, and you know what's funny? Because my um well <laughs> my wife normally introduced me to the people that I that I'm not familiar with. So yes. I don't even know. I think she heard your music on Heart and Soul. I'm not sure. Mm, mm-hmm. So she sent it to me one day and I was listening. So I was like, okay. So I listened to like the went back, listened to the albums, and I've I've been a fan ever since. Thank you so much. Thank you. That I appreciate that. DC, this this area, DC area has been showing me so much love and been hanging in there with me for a long time. Yes. Let's talk about let's talk about that because before we record it, I, I, I was under the impression that you were born in DC, but you you informed me that you were just raised, you you got here after college. Can you want to talk about that more? Yeah, so I was actually born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, that's where my family is. A lot of them are still up there, up or New York, or, uh, and some a few folks down in Maryland. But I, I'm born and raised in New Haven, Connecticut, and I moved to D.C. to attend American University. And um, I studied broadcast journalism and I studied music performance. And I just fell in love with D.C. I was 17 when I got here, and it was so different than New Haven. New Haven. Uh, contrary to what people might think, um, New Haven is probably a little bit more of the like city life, like the more where the black people live. It's a little, it has these little pockets of hood or whatever. And DC felt like just so much bigger and so many different types of cultures here. So I fell in love with the city and I've been down here ever since. I literally went home maybe two times, like the summer after my freshman year, the summer after sophomore year. And then, like, after a while, I was just like, yo, I'm staying in D.C., like, for the summer. And the next thing you know, I just just never wanted to really settle back up there. So, enough respect to New Haven, Connecticut, because that's, you know, born and raised. My peeps are there. But uh, I've literally been here for over 20 years now. Now, what did you say you studied at American University? I studied uh, journalism. I studied broadcast journalism. And I studied vocal, I uh, minored in music vocal performance. So, yeah, I have a love for... It's kind of what you're doing. Like I have a love for interviewing folks. I've been a, a host on radio for a while. I worked at Sirius XM radio for about 10 years. Um, I have done a lot of like just hosting of events and um, yeah, I had my own radio show on XM radio for a good year. Or so featuring like Neo soul and uh, yeah, I had the opportunity to uh, interview some, some really phenomenal people, Neo, Alicia Keys, uh, Shaka Khan and, so uh, that there's always going to be that love of journalism uh, with me, but uh, music is is my heart. <laughs> what made you pick American University? Um, to be honest, my mother. <laughs> uh, she don't play, so and you know, uh, it's a it's a really uh, strong school, and uh, they were a decent decent journalist journalism department, communications department. And so, um, you know, I, I had actually applied to so many places, but when we did the whole visit and my mom saw how beautiful the campus was, how uh, diverse the um, population was as far as 
And I'm gonna say this, it's not an HBCU in it by it's not black at all. So, um, but the, I, it, it's highly international. So she was feeling that, I was kind of feeling that as well. And I think my mom, you know, it, it had me, the, it, the campus is very enclosed. It's like a little world. So when you drive onto campus, you really have everything you need contained. Um, and you don't have to really kind of venture off into the city too much to get to other buildings. And my mother really loved that because she didn't want my little wild tail getting too wild. So, so really, it was a combination of, you know, my mom really, you know, impressing on me that it's a good school. It's a good look. And, um, you know, me just kind of going along with it. <laughs> Did you consider Howard? My mother didn't even let me apply. <laughs> Why? <laughs> she, she didn't like the neighborhood. And you gotta, you know, you gotta understand, like I had to preface this with like people when they hear New Haven, Connecticut, they think rich trees, you know, upscale. And New Haven, if you do a little research, New Haven is not um, the safest place. And so um, she wanted me to be somewhere where she felt it was a change from my city, my home environment. Cause I, I I went to, you know, predominantly black schools all my life. I I went to even a private school for a little while. But, um, but she she was not feeling Howard. When we went to see it, um, I was in love. <laughs> uh, I, but I think she also knew her daughter. You know what I'm saying? I'll be real. She I think she knew me and she knew my readiness to be away from home and be free that she was concerned at maybe my behavior if I went to Howard, which I'm not, I don't know. I, was, I mean, I'm a wild girl. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, I'm just a, a very people person type. And so I think she worried about distractions and um, yeah, we, I never even applied to Howard. I applied to Hampton, Spelman and uh, quite a few other schools, but I did not apply to, to Howard. Um, but I was there quite a bit because all my besties who came from New Haven, they, a lot of them went to Howard. So I was always around. Wow. Yeah. When did you discover you had a real love for music? Um, at about six years old, maybe six or seven. Um, when I started noticing music on a different level, um, for a little, for a little person, I was really like, intuitive with melodies, retaining melodies and um, picking out pieces of songs that maybe most people would listen to and those, those elements would go over their head. I was really in tune with music very, very young. And um, I don't, you know, I, I don't even remember the first time I decided to sing out loud. I just always remember singing. I don't remember the very first time uh, because it just seems like there was never a time without singing in my life, but I was a lot shyer when I was a kid with it. Um, I did musicals and plays and things where I kind of could be in the background, but um, I've always deep inside just known that I want to sing. And it wasn't until AU and I started meeting some really cool people and some other creatives um, like right after college that I was like, I got to like take this seriously. I, I love this more than I love journalism. I got to really dig into this. Wow. Were, were you, were you actually performing while you were in college? Yeah, I actually, um, word got around with our black student union, um, that <laughs> I was a singer on campus and they invited me to do a couple of events for the, the BSU. And then I also, 
through one of the, the sisters who was a part of that, she recommended me to do like March Madness um, for our basketball team to like sing um, the national anthem. She was like, would you ever, you know, consider doing that for like, this is like, would be an, an arena and Bender Arena on campus and it'd be a lot of people, are you cool? And I'm, I, by that point, had been on stages like through high school and stuff. So I was like, heck yeah. So she was like, you know, consider this your audition. And so I did, I did the anthem once and from freshman year to the end, I did every home game, girls and guys basketball game. Wow. Then I did talent shows there as well. Um, because that's definitely during those times. That's when uh it was, you know, the big in vogue days, um, shy Joe to see Mary J. So I was always trying to jump on stage and like sing a little D'Angelo or Eric Bondo or something like that. So yeah, I was I was definitely present as a vocalist on campus, especially once I started doing the basketball games, but um, I I still wasn't really like recording or doing anything on that level yet. Is that where you got, was that where you gained your confidence was performing those early days? You know, um, I think I really gained my confidence through what I jokingly say is the hazing of DC <laughs> uh, when I started performing like with a band. Um, when I Once I left school, uh, not long after I was done with AU, I started meeting like local musicians. DC has the illest, like some, some of the best musicians here, drummers. I mean, at that time too, in like the late nineties, early 2000, it was like, all these bands in the city, like band called Fertile Ground, which was killing the game all over town and uh, Divine Nature. And there was Julie Dexter and Eric Roberson and Yazra Sai Smith. There were so many singers floating around town. Um, I wanted to get a band. I wanted to do that. Like I wanted to like put my feet in the water and that on that level as, as opposed to like talent shows and things I was doing in college. And I connected with three brothers, um, one from Southeast, another from Hyattsville, another from like Suitland. And um, they became my like team and my band and my producers. And uh, they called themselves Third Logic, three of them, bassist, drummer and guitarist. And once I got with them and we started actually working on material and getting out in the city between DC and Baltimore to perform for people, that's how I had to build my confidence because it was not easy at first. Like DC will sit and stare you in your face. Like, who is this? Oh, can I go home? <laughs> you know, like they don't play with with music here. So you really got to work. And it, I, I really enjoyed that because it taught me how to be a performer. It taught us how to have showmanship and it like kind of trained us for like the bigger situations. So we had a good long run of like just performing anywhere we could we no money gigs or little to nothing we just wanted the experience and it just we got stronger and stronger through that Tacoma Station State of the Union all of the U Street DC uh area during that time was just thriving with restaurants bars clubs and they would allow you know up-and-coming people who don't even have a big reputation they weren't worried about your numbers and your algorithms and all of that it was just worried about how strong you could be on stage so um that was that was a great time for me because that's when i really it was a hard time in the sense that there were some shows where i was like dad that was hard they didn't even they didn't even smile at me in the audience you know <laughs> you know um and i did a lot of opening slots and when you when you do opening act slots you tend to be the person that people are like yeah 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 who's I want to see mint condition I don't want to see I don't know who Deborah Bond is <laughs> you know so, um so you have to kind of push through winning them over because you know that they're ready for the, the 
closing act or whatever. So it was good. I, I miss those days where there was a lot more of that available to us in the DC area. It, it, it totally, man, like by year six, my confidence got stronger and our shows got stronger. Our stages got bigger. And yeah. So were they the ones, the gentlemen that you met, um, were they the ones who were responsible for crafting your sound? I would say, yeah, I would say the four of us all came to the table with really strong influences and we all wanted to infuse them into the sound. You know, um, I came with like lots of listening to Shaka Khan, Anita Baker, um, Luther Vandross, Stevie Wonder, Maxwell, a little bit of Janet. Like I had all of these vocal uh genres and styles and tastes that I wanted to make sure my music can capture it. But then they also came from like, you know, the world of uh, my drummer was definitely playing lots of gospels, some go-go here and there. My bassist was playing lots of straight up funk and the same with my guitarist. He was playing a lot of funk and also a lot of, um, you know, he would, he would do, you know, rock here and there. And so the, all of us really infused our taste into a, into this melting pot and that that really did create a sound yeah because that's the thing like i've listened to um i've listened to all your albums mm-hmm. and you got a song um it's called don't waste your time it's kind of old oh, I, I hope you can remember oh yeah 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 so song. how did that song come because that's like one of my favorite songs because like the, it's you you know the vocals are excellent but then as the, as the vocals end, it's like you let the, the band play. Yes, I love the ending of that because they do these hits and things at the end. Oh my gosh. Um, and they do, a, oh my, yeah, that, that just gives me goosebumps almost to think about how excited we were for that song. Um, that was really, I think, I, I'm, wow, I'm getting old now. That one was produced by uh, my bassist, Funky Chuck, as we call him, Funky Chuck Evans. And he kind of had the whole... Actually, no, Canard uh, and Chuck, uh, the drummer and the bassist kind of put that one together together. They were like, um, uh, I remember Canard had a, he also played, he played drums for me, but he also plays guitar and bass phenomenally. And he played the little, he had that little riff going and like combined with Chuck, uh, the two of them just crafted that. And then the, I mean, they wanted to go as far out funk wise as they could so that, you know, the bridge is crazy on that song. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I wish, I do wish iPhones and all that kind of stuff were big deals back then because I would have loved to have the footage of when they were crafting that, but it's all a memory now. It's like, the, it, it feels like it was magic when they were putting that song together. And that song has lots of pieces. Like it almost, I had, I remember getting criticism about that song because someone said it felt like two different songs trying that we were trying to put together. Like the verse and the chorus sounded like two different, that could have been a part of two different songs. And we were just like, what are you talking about? It's just, we loved it. So thank you. I'm glad that, that song, you know, you remember that one. Cause that's a, that's a strong one for us. Now, do you, do you write your own lyrics or? Uh, generally I do. I have two, two or three people that I trust with, like when I go blank, I'll ask them to help me fill in some of the blanks, but I'm primarily am the, the main songwriter for the band and a vocal arranger. I have a, a dear friend, Akima Price, who is also out of Washington, DC. Um, she 
what is she? She co-wrote uh, a song, This Is Me, from my first album. And then she co-wrote uh, You Are The One from my second album. And she co-wrote uh, Think Twice, a couple of, quite a, quite a few, like at least three on Madame Palindrome and one on uh, Day After. So every now and then I'll call her. And then my bassist, Chuck. Chuck, we would joke is that he's like the hook man because he came up with the hook for See You In My Dreams. He came up with the hook for the song Love's Been Waiting. He came up with the hook for the song You Are The One. So he's the only other person I like trust with lyrics, but I tend to want them to be as personal as possible. I'm going to talk about one song that's really personal. And I, I, it's one of my favorites too. You got a lot of excellent songs, by the way. Thank you. But um, Highest Mountain. Mm-hmm. Did you write that one yourself? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote that one. Um yeah, you know, that was a tough one to write. One, because of the way it moves. The song has a, it's in an interesting key and the changes in the verse are, the, the pre-chorus are kind of strange for me as a write, as a, with my ear. And so that one took a while because I also didn't know how to say what was in my mind. And I remember, I do remember that one also being tough for Akima. Um, she, Cause she was like, I don't understand, what, what are you trying to say? And I was like, trying to basically say that we are as human beings naturally going to want to point fingers at each other and we're going to sometimes we do things on not even purposefully but we do things to actually promote conflict instead of promoting harmony and sometimes what we need to do before we even point the finger is just take a look at ourselves and and try to focus on ourselves just being you start with you with being a, a better person. And so I kind of, I kind of think, see that journey of even make that kind of having that kind of mentality and how much peace we could come, we could have in our lives from that. I see it as this mountain that you have to climb. It's not, it's, it's not really easy to uh, imagine that being something that this world could accomplish, but we would really be more harmonious and loving and unified as people. Um, so I, I look at it as this this climb of a mountain, but I also say like like to rise above hatred and to rise above some of these things that are going on. I would climb that mountain. I would climb it if I knew I could get there. I would just do it. And so that's really you know that song was a tough one to get out, um, but I I love it because it's very dramatic. Lots of strings and you know um, and the message is really really uh, close to me. I'm going to back up to something you said, because when we was talking about um, don't waste your time, you were saying you wish you had an iPhone. Like, I guess you were basically saying you wish technology was where it was now back then. Do you think think had had technology been as advanced back then, do you think more people would have been exposed to your music and you would be an even bigger star? Definitely. Definitely. Um, knowing what I know, um, knowing how I navigated my way through my social media, which I didn't have in my 20s when I was starting out um, and seeing the response to how I present myself through that world alone tells me I know if it was back then I would have really been able to get a bigger wave of people exposed to me during the, my early days. It was really mainly the East Coast and D.C. that. I was able to get that exposure to because there weren't these, you know, these devices and these, these the 
platforms. I mean, the internet started when I was in college, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so there are some people who were born into the internet. You know, they never seen a life without Google or without an iPhone. There's like seven-year-olds with iPhones. I can't even imagine what my career would have been like um, if it wasn't, you know, if I had more technology. And honestly, I just would have loved to, for the, like the creating process, because I am a journalistic mind and I love documenting things and looking back on a journey. Like I would have loved to have seen some of our writing sessions and like watched it unfold. And it really, it really turns into memories and the memories get fuzzy as you get older, you know, thinking about don't waste your time, thinking about anything from the very first album, that album is almost 20 years old now. And it's like some of the, some of the memories tied to it, even some of the like the acapellas that came along. I don't have any of that stuff. It was such a different, there were no Dropbox, you know, it was like things were still kind of on CDs and like, you know, you had to find a disc with the, the extra stuff on. It's such a different time. So I do honestly believe that my career would have gone a different way if I had the the tools of social media, the internet and, and all of that, the, in, in the means to film the way we can with our phones, all of that. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about the new album, Compass One. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to listen to it. It's an amazing album. I'm pretty sure, I I know I shared it and I hope the people who who I shared it, you know, put it on um, Instagram. I hope they listen to it because it's an amazing album. And congratulations on creating such an excellent project. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I wanted to talk about the process of creating it. Well, that was a drastically different process than um, with my past two albums. I created it without Third Logic. Um, Love those brothers to death, but uh, just decided, you know, at the end of 2019 to take a a little break from creating with them and to do something completely independent of them. Um, And so you know, around 2018, 2019, I had been asking around to see if anybody wanted to pass me some tracks or, and some people that I was really hoping for didn't bite. Some people that um, were kind of new and undiscovered were definitely excited to try some things with me knowing my past. And so I was able to get some music together, like around the end of 2019, where I thought, "Mm, I could start really working on something, but I don't know. You know, I, I had a lot of personal things going on and during that time. And then here comes 2020 and here comes the pandemic and everything's shutting down. And that's when I really decided to let, well, I should just go for it or at least just start experimenting like on a serious level with, with vocals and writing and, and like, like, come on, you could do this, Deborah. I started giving myself a little pep talk and so did a few others in my life. And so um, I literally started there was one song time that I have been working on from about like the top of 2019 that was the only song that I wrote a little bit earlier than everything else but I hadn't finished that one either but um I started like seriously once I kind of got at least about maybe five songs that I really liked um track wise or music wise like they were still like skeletons of the songs but enough for me to start writing ideas I just spent quarantine creating. I, I have pretty much everything I needed because I've worked at radio and I, I sing jingles and do voiceover works. So I have an interface and microphones and I, I upgraded my, my MacBook and uh, I got some, some studio monitors and I just 
created this like really makeshift home studio situation in what I call my little treehouse. I live in this tiny little studio apartment tucked away. I got, you know, it's really cozy and swanky in here. So I would just literally between April until about maybe, oh, September, August, August or September, I just was writing and laying down scratch focus, writing, demoing trying stuff the middle of the night my sleep was all crazy this i mean last year felt like a twisted dream you know for everybody in the world yeah. so i was just kind of in that dream too like i'm you know alone and i'm just you know have time on my hands all i lost all my gigs and so i just created an environment in here that was very um moody and I started kind of dreaming up what i saw for the vision and i just recorded it with my vocals in here and then the producers that were involved, the few that had live instrumentation, we just started figuring out who do we want, who do we want to play drums? We would have a, a beat, but we wanted to recreate the beat and make it live. And so we started, you know, calling our networks, mainly the brothers who uh, passed me the music called their networks. And um, folks said, well, hey, they have nothing to do either. They're home. So they, you know, hit up, they were in their home studios and laid down their parts and we kind of assembled it bit by bit like all through the internet and mm -hmm. i was able to have it mixed and mastered in virginia and richmond uh through uh montrose studios um shout out to adrian austin who mixed and mastered it i never was even in the room with him or had a conversation with him when he was working on it so it was all a really um kind of pieced together album and like quick i literally did that in six seven months start oh, wow. to finish writing it and everything nobody i mean i had people recording their parts in la people in london people in nashville people in boston in richmond and when i listen to that record it feels like we we were all in the studio together but we weren't you you mentioned that you you want you went in a different direction production wise um yeah away from third were you nervous about that because when you've been recording for somebody so long yeah, you, know, you there's a certain comfort level that comes with that. Oh man, I was so I was nervous about the whole project. I was nervous about every aspect of not having third logic in my corner with this. Um and there's there's you know, there's all this bittersweet energy that was happening with me personally too, because it was just like, wow, I'm really gonna do this without them. And it, there's no hard feelings or anything. It was just more so like um yeah it was very i was extremely anxious and nervous and hoping that you know what would happen if i released this and it was like it landed on deaf ears or just like people were like you know really hating on it or you know what i, I really had those what if moments quite a bit and i had to just talk myself out of that and trust myself that's what the whole title of it you know compass is like trusting my own journey finding my way on my own um, and allowing my instinct and my spirit and my spirit guides to like help make, help lead me to making the right decisions for my life and for my music. So as scary as it is, my personality in general is a risk-taking type. <laughs> so um, I knew once I made up my mind that I was gonna do it, that I was just gonna do it. And if it, I didn't think I was gonna do it in the manner that it did end up happening last year this time, I told myself I'm going to make a humble little maybe four or five track EP. I'm not even going to market it too much. I'm just going to put it out and just get some music out of me. 
to have something out there. It's been 10 years, nine years, I was thinking. But by the time I got midway through writing it, I was, you know, really beginning to just feel excited about it. And I was sharing it with with a few people here and there. And they were like, oh, you can't put this out on the humble. You got to put this out. out." (laughs) (laughs) And so then that kind of like shifted a lot for me. And um, yeah, that fear was still was there. But I'm glad I just took that that jump. You know, I always take some leaps here and there. That's what the song Patience is about. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm that type to go for the ride. If, you, if you're down, I'll go, you know, see what happens. And you hope for the best sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I'm glad I made the decision to do it. You talked about the, um, you also mentioned that you were losing dates because of COVID. And yeah. I know because, you know, because you're not a mainstream, but even mainstream artists, Performing is, <laughs> performing is so essential to you guys income mm-hmm. and getting your music out. So how were you able to cope with losing those dates? Uh, the government. That's about it. <laughs> the government that's playing games, still playing games. One minute you get a stimulus, one minute you're not, all of that stuff. The government and um, I get by with a little help from my friends, okay. you know? get by with a little help from my friends. I mean, it has really been tough on that, in that front. Like, that's why the home studio situation made the most sense too, because studio time is like, can be hours and hours and those hours add up to dollars, you know? And so um, I knew even then, I was like, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna have to do this in the most low budget way possible because I don't have any work. And so I was really just surviving from COVID relief, grants and things, whatever I had kind of stacked around. And um, I'm still just holding on, to be honest. I'm, I've gotten some work here and there, but I'm still just waiting for the day when everything slowly like makes its way back to like me really performing and gigging and touring. Definitely. I want to talk about your upcoming um, virtual concert at the Blue House yeah. on yeah. March 19th. Yes. Um, I'm sure you're excited about that. So I definitely want you to talk about that more. Yeah. So um, I'm gathering up some friends, a crew, some new and some old um, to perform a full on uh, virtual concert. I've been doing some pop up kind of performances on Instagram and Facebook where I'll sing cover songs and just, you know, serenade folks. And um, this is definitely going to be a Deborah Bond performance. Um, This will be my first time really doing something like this with this new material. We're gonna, we're gonna really focus mainly on the new material and throw a few of the old ones in there, but it's a celebration of this new music. And it gives us a way to kind of experiment with, you know, how it can come off to the world. So uh, I'm so excited to sing with my crew again, with my background singers who are phenomenal in their own right, doing their own things. My sister Rona Ross, who has a, dope album out with my brother Stephen Gills they're going to be joining me and I haven't worked with them like this in a good while so um, I'm just excited to like kind of let some of that energy out and also kind of show the fans who are who are not new to me um, some of the growth that I've made um, and even some of the changes I mean I think of the people of DC who've seen me over the years kind of have an idea for my stage presence and my energy and I think that this new music is going to bring about a bit of a shift with that. So I'm excited for, for everyone to kind of 
follow me on that on that journey of even how I perform with my music. So I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. We just gonna give it's you know if you like live music and you enjoy watching live concerts, this I I highly doubt folks will be disappointed because it's just feel good music from good people who miss playing together. So yeah. How, how do we watch it? It is going to be, um, for now, you have to buy your ticket at Eventbrite, and then you will get a link from Blue House next week um, that will give you a code to pop on in and watch. So for all the Eventbrite ticket holders, they will they have to submit their email, and then they, uh, they get a special link. Okay. What do, you, what do you want the listeners to take away from your latest project? Um, that, huh, how do I put this? Um, this album is truly just speaking to the human experience. Um, and I think with social media, with the way of the world right now, with us being so attached to devices, we can sometimes get caught up in illusions of life. We can compare ourselves to others. You know, we... There, I've had so many conversations over the years about the pressure that even just social media and keeping up with the Joneses and all that kind of stuff is putting on humans. And I wanted this album to represent a rawness and a pulling back of, of the veils that we sometimes wear and just being more honest with our truths and not being afraid to show how multifaceted we are as human beings. We are not always glamorous. We're not always depressed. We're not always, you know, down. We're not always out. You know, I just, I think this album really represents just the human side of us that is getting a little corrupted by having to always kind of be on. I've seen people who are regular people. I hate to use that term, regular people. Artists tend to use that quite a bit. They're not on stages. They go to a nine to five um, and they live a pretty corporate America life. And they'll be on Instagram going live, talking about whatever and creating their shows and doing things with, I, in some ways, cause I feel like they think they have to keep up with everybody. Whereas, you know, there was a time when you just were who you were, you weren't sharing every part of your life all the time. And there was more of a reality around human experience. And right now I just feel like there's so much illusion. This album is about my reality. Madame Palindrome, that last album was super, super dripped in and gloss. We wanted it to be really overproduced and like lots of lush instrumentation and lots of really glossy, bright pictures. And as beautiful as that was, there came a time in my life where that was not my narrative anymore. And I am a human and I go through hard times just like everybody else. And I have, I have a, a lot of introspective thoughts like many of us do, and especially in a pandemic. So I want people to listen to this album and think about who they are at the root of who they are. And like, think about acceptance and think about understanding yourselves and think about not being afraid to show the raw side of yourself. You don't always have to have a pound of makeup on. You don't always have to show yourself in front of a car you know, like a, a flossy car. You can just be a human and a, an emotional, living, breathing human. So this compass is about the journey of just a human being pulling back, pulling back the glam and the gloss and showing just straight up 
human sides of myself. As a fan of your work and just having this conversation, it's truly been an honor and pleasure talking with you. I wish you. you, I wish you all the best with the um, new project, the new Thank with the you. virtual concert, and I'm actually looking forward to tuning in because I'm definitely gonna make sure I check it out. Thank you so much. I think you won't be disappointed. I think you'll enjoy. Let's make sure we tell the people how they can follow you and also how they can attend the concert as well. Okay. Well, if you follow me on Instagram at b o r a. B-O-N-D at B-O-R-A-B-O-N-D. You can find the ticket link in my bio. You can also find the ticket link on my Facebook page, which is uh, Deborah Bond Facebook or Deborah Bond Music Facebook. You can also um, find information on my website, www.deborahbond.com. And uh, yeah, get the link. Um, if, even if you go to Eventbrite and you search Deborah, Bl- Deborah Bond Blue House, it should come up as an event listed in, uh, in the D.C. area. So uh, it's out there. It's live. And I hope, uh, you know, we get a nice crew of folks watching. Definitely. Again, I want to congratulate you on the project. Thank um, you. Amazing, amazing album, amazing vocals as usual. And I'm looking forward to the concert, like I said earlier. Thank you so much. Thank you for supporting the the artists out here. We need it. We appreciate it. Definitely. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I truly appreciate it. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. And I'm also on Facebook conversations with lamp. You can listen to the sound. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcast. Again, thank you all for listening and your continued support. Have a great day.